I apologize to DA because the play was was victory. Uh, but I also explained to DA that it was a team decision. And uh, and I think when you have the a team morale, and I asked the guys, I said, guys, like, what do you, what do you want to do? We know how much Jamal means to this team, and and I understood from DA's perspective. So I I, I give him that. Yeah, but D, DA didn't condone that at all. You know, he he didn't. However, uh, we decided as a team to do it, and man, we got an interception to the one yard line. Yeah. <laughs> the quarterback if you're the head coach for making a decision you get rid of him no because it wasn't just his decision that's what i'm saying nobody on that team seems to respect dennis allen but he's the one that basically makes the play he gets the ball he could have just said no i'm doing what i'm supposed to do and take a knee and then how would that play out with the team if he let winston go and everybody finds out that they let whether you like Jameis or not on that team you found out that the coach let go of a guy for blatantly disrespecting you and going against you, but you also realized that ha- most of the guys on the field at the same time felt the very same way. They're just gonna they're just they're gonna hate just, him even more. Yeah, I'm just curious about what's the I don't I mean all and, and maybe our Ross Jackson can tell us what is the this fondness for. Williams. I mean, I I know he had a great year last year with the Lions, but I mean, we had hardly heard about him this year. Really, hadn't heard about him much at all. And you know, when you talk about running, you know, Tyson, you know, you talk about him, you talk about Kamara. Williams has been kind of an afterthought. I'm just kind of curious, and maybe, and we'll get to this with Ross Jackson. Why this sudden fondness to get Williams his first touchdown in the last game on the last play of the year? Uh, we will certainly, uh, we will certainly. Uh Ask the question. It it was typical Saints to play in a game that ultimately was meaningless and play well. Now, granted, they were playing a seven-win team and absolutely beat the doors off of them. Did you think there was a lot of feedback on the way the exchange between Dennis Allen and Arthur Smith? Did you have a problem with the way either one handled that interaction? Well, I understand Arthur Smith. He probably felt that he was going to get fired anyway, so that had been the rumor, so why not? I mean, he felt he felt disrespected, too, by what happened. Uh, Dennis Allen tried to tried to t- you know tell him, so, hey, you know, if you're a coach, though, and, and you're going to say, hey, it wasn't my fault, how are you going to buy into that? It's not my fault. The team overruled me. That's what he tried to do. Right. Arthur Smith didn't want to hear it. Arthur Smith is a whiny crybaby. <laughs> uh, by the way, to my point, I was just doing a little math here. So the Saints, about their wins, they got wins against the uh, six-win Titan team. They got two wins against Carolina, who had ten- two wins. They got the win over the Patriots, four wins for the Patriots. That was a that Bears, was a Vikings, Falcons all had seven wins. So I'm saying, like they, I think they only beat one, two, three teams with winning records. Did you year. switch off to Tampa at all? Three to switch that. Did you try to watch that game at two? Not I really, think. because they had the score. They were constantly updating. See, I, I, and during commercials, I would switch just to see and hope that the Panthers. Then when I saw the Panthers miss a field goal, I'm like, that's it. There's no chance. Yeah, that was an even uglier game than the Saints game. 
yeah, and Carolina had a couple of times like they fumbled out of the end zone. It, it was it was a mess. Yeah, Bryce made a really nice play and uh, DJ Chark reached out early. Yeah, and had it knocked out and fumbled through the end zone. What do you think of that rule? People people complain about that rule a lot. The fumble through the end zone for a touchback. Oh well, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is now the second worst rule in, in the NFL. We found the the worst rule. Which was a smart play. It was in the, was it Steelers? Oh, the uh, laying out of bounds and reaching out, reaching yes. in. Yes. I don't have an issue with the fumble through the end zone. By the way, I don't. I don't think you should be rewarded for it. But anyway. um, I don't. I don't love the touchback. But whatever. But would we agree that this is a, even a dumber rule? <laughs> I, I I was unaware that you could do that. I I had no idea. Either. Did you see this one where I they missed it? So they they kick it. They try to squib it, and it like lands inbounds, like but like two. It was feet, wet. Yeah, two feet from the from the out of bounds. So, Pitts, It was Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. Uh, so dude goes and stands out of bounds, and then reaches for the ball, out of bounds. He was out of bounds. He was out of bounds. So what did they call? That essentially the ball went out of bounds. Kick right. out of bounds. Like it was kicked oh, out of bounds. Even though it was, he was sitting, out of bounds. Even though okay. it was sitting inbounds. I mean, I'll have to show you the play so you can fully appreciate uh, just how ridiculous it was. Um, heads up play by him. Not complaining at all about the way he played it. I don't know. There's probably like two guys in the whole league that would have thought about doing that. Feels what like a rule change is coming the, uh, on that one. What yeah, did the TV sure. referee have to say? Oh, I just saw. I didn't see it live. I saw it on social media. I have no idea what they said. Um, but that's the that might be the worst rule ever. So they called the play dead at that point. The ball. Yeah, it's okay. almost as if it was basically as if he kicked it out of bounds. I got you. Because um, usually, yeah. But if you kick it out of bounds, then the team receiving it don't they get it like at the thirty-five yes, or yeah, something absolutely. like that? Oh, okay. So just a, just a. I'm surprised the referees even knew what the hell to do there, quite frankly. That was nuts. That might have been the craziest play of the of the, uh, of the weekend, for sure. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to turn our attention to some high school basketball. The premier game of the weekend went down between Fairhope and MGM. We'll tell you how it went. We'll talk to the MGM coach next right here on Sports Station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Kickoff continues right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. One of the Prescott's four touchdown passes and the Cowboys dismantling of Washington. And Jalen Tolbert had two catches, including that touchdown. You know, also in that game, that kicker, Audrey, had hit 35 straight. He was trying for the record, which I think is like 38 or 39, but got his first field goal blocked. 
What a game we had Friday night. Two of the best in this area, Mary G. Montgomery and Fairhope. And we've got Robertus Kimball. He's the head coach of the Vikings. He's on the line with us right now. Coach, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm great this morning. Congratulations on that win. What a year it's been for MGM in football, uh, boys basketball, with still a long way to go in boys basketball. Tell us how you won this game and how it came down to almost the final play of the game. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, we went into the game trying to stick to our game plan, and our game plan is going inside. So we knew it was going to be a great game uh, between Fairhope and MGM because we have two of the two, two of the great teams uh, in the area playing against each other. And we knew it was going to be a physical game. So we wanted to pound it inside, and they were going inside as well. And so uh, it just came down to a game of, of who's going to impose their will, and I think we were able to impose our will. And like you said, we almost gave them a game uh, back to them in, in their gym. Yeah, it was, but we closed it out. It was a turnover, wasn't it, at the end of the game on, on your part? Yes, sir. Absolutely, absolutely. We were inbounding the ball, and we had uh, less than five seconds, I want to say. The only thing we had to do was get the ball in, and we fumbled the ball. So it's one of the things we're working on, trying to figure out how to close and win games at the end of the game. Ro, I was going to tell you, man, turnovers like that at that point in the game is what makes coaches like you lose your hair. I think I lost my hair 20 <laughs> years ago, and, and I don't think these guys are trying to help me out growing it back. Uh, like I said, like you said, uh, turnovers can, can cost you games, and also turnovers can win you games. So if we win the game of turnovers and, and keep the ball in our hands in, we'll be fine. But like I said, we're, we're trying to uh, slowly keep my hair from growing this year. Yeah, you know, what, what's really great, I don't know if great's the right word for you, though, but you get the win, but you can also go back to that play and, and kind of uh, ground your guys a little bit and say, look, there's still things that we need to work on, right, uh, moving forward. So it's it's almost kind of win-win. Not that you were hoping for a turn over there, but you can certainly spin that a little bit, right? You are absolutely correct. That's one of the things we practice on, trying to win games the right way, trying to end games the right way, and that's taking care of the ball. We all know as coaches uh, – like I said, turnovers are going to be a key for any game, and that's what we're working on, trying to learn how to finish the games with control and, and being in control of the ball and not turn the ball over in crucial moments of games. Uncharacteristically, you had a two-game losing streak going into that huge 7A game. So talk about the fact that you were able to bounce back from the two losses after winning 16 in a row. And that's a great thing for us right now. We uh we had to, I think, losing those games – gave us an opportunity to learn and to figure out who we are. And we wanted to, uh, I call it a, a game, two games where we lost to find our identity. Our identity is going to be going inside and playing good defense. And so losing those games in that Gulf Coast tournament was a great thing for us early because now we get to revamp and get ready to, to go into the area play. Uh, talk about that final play for uh, Fairhope, Spence Sims. Everybody knows he's a bucket man, but uh, clearly uh, it, it didn't take a genius to know that he was going to get the ball. It looked like he was going to get a pretty good shot, but you guys in your length, I mean, certainly altered that last uh, that last shot for him. Well, actually, he got a great look at the end, yeah. and I think that's what uh, that's what's going to deter a lot of guys. Our length, uh, we we actually had two guys kind of shade towards him and put their arms up, and like I said, at the end of the game, him shooting a three uh, will only have tied the game. So we would live with a three. We just can't live with a three and a foul. So <laughs> we just wanted to contest the best we could and not give him a clear look. Are any of the uh, football players who helped them the? Uh, Vikings to that outstanding season. Do they also play for the basketball team? 
Absolutely. We have uh, two seniors that played, and they played on, on the defensive side. And John Robinson, he was one of our starting linebackers. And Jalen Gray, he was one of our free safeties. And they played the point guard and the guard uh, position. And also we have Shondell Harris, who was our running back and uh I want to say cornerback as well. So they play a lot of minutes in our defense on the on the um, football side, and they play a lot of minutes for our uh, basketball team as well. What's up next for the uh, Vikings? Well, we start our area play this week. Tomorrow we take our Davidson Warriors, and Friday we have Baker in our gym. Well, Coach, uh, should be a good one, man. No, no rest for the weary for sure. So uh, have a great week. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on the big win, man. We'll, we'll be in touch for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yep, absolutely. That's uh, Robertus Kimball, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, basketball coach at MGM. Those are probably the two best teams in the area, at least right now, uh, and, and it certainly went down. That game certainly played out like it was. So over the weekend in college basketball, the Jags lost to Georgia State. Mark, you were at that game, so Indeed you was. saw that. The only thing I was really able to watch a lot of, because I had uh, family uh, matters going on. We had a family uh, get-together got to see Auburn's win over Arkansas, and I got to tell you, having broadcast in Bud Walton Arena, and it's certainly one of the best home court venues anywhere, what Auburn did to them, it was the worst defeat ever occurred by Arkansas on their home floor. Uh, it was something like 32 points that they lost by to the Auburn Tigers. So, uh, And we'll talk to Chad Pruitt. I will tell you this, I actually – got in touch with Chad before that game, so it's not like he's coming out just because they won. That was booked before that, and it's been a tough place for a lot of SEC schools and all, and obviously Auburn to win a game there. And then Alabama had a very big win, and I say a big win to go to Vanderbilt. Uh, it's not the easiest place to play. Vandy maybe not a world beater this year, but still uh, to come away with a win over Vanderbilt was indeed uh, a nice win for Nate Oates' team. So all in all, a pretty good weekend. Uh, I know Spring Hill won their game on Saturday, and so uh, things went pretty well for uh, teams that we follow. You watch uh, the Alabama game there, Michael. Yeah, I, I mean, you're happy with the win. It's uh, started a little slow, then they got out, like then they just took off, and then they kind of got came back down to earth a little bit. It's not great. You know, they were they're favored, I think, by like 14, one by three. You'll take it. You'll you'll take the win. Uh, I don't think Nate Oates has ever lost in that arena, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, you'll take the win. Decent start to SEC play. They still got the same problems they had. Hopefully, they'll start I, to fix them. I, I know you you make light of that, but you go on the road and win in the SEC. Sure. I think that you just have to take it. Say we got the win because like when push comes to shove at the end of the year with your record. You don't go back and say, well, gosh, we could have won by more. Vanderbilt's a tough place to play. Have you ever been there to that I arena? I have not. It's, it's, cra it's weird, a crazy, weird it's a looking. weird place. Uh, it's where the players are on the baseline. Things are out of whack up there, and it's it's not an easy place to play. And I don't know much about Vandy's team this year. I They used to be really, really good. I think they're falling they're, down. Uh, they are not good this year. You would have thought, too, with Jerry Stackhouse coming aboard that maybe there would be – a, a tendency to maybe to lure some really good players there, but I don't know much about their team. But they were a nice said. story last year, and uh, you know made a nice run in the SEC tournament, and really pushed for a tournament spot, and it kind of just didn't happen. But yeah, I mean they they've been they've been bad this year. They're five another, and nine right now, and another game that uh, was Kentucky's win over Florida, final seconds. 
uh, to go on the road for Kentucky and beat Florida. Both teams having really good starts to the season. All right, uh, you guys can jump in uh, at 694-1055 is the number. We've covered a lot of, a lot of ground already, the Saints, the NFL, uh, to, to put on another touchdown or not, the way in which they did it, Arthur Smith's reaction, Dennis Allen, I would make the argument, is probably in as bad a shape as Arthur Smith, and that dude got fired. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it as, uh, as the transactions start coming in at some point. Oh, and so uh, Lee finally got a, you got a chance to see that Pittsburgh play. What'd you think? Well, I think anytime a guy is out of bounds, that's where the ball should be. I know, in this case, Pittsburgh got the ball at the thirty-five. But I was always, I always thought that when you're out of bounds, that's that's where the ball is. Even though the ball was in bounds, but the guy was out of bounds. So maybe it should have been at that spot. What's the yeah? What what? If you were to change that rule, folks, what would it be? A spot foul, like that's where where he was at? Do you put it at the 35 or the 40 or wherever they put it? Is it illegal touching? I guess there's so many options. I, I know I was thinking about that play in the, uh, the semifinal game where the Alabama player had his foot just barely on the, the yeah. line. And so the interception did not count. I, I guess I'd have to see what the options are. Do you do, you do the kick? Well, you can't really do the kick over again. The ball's in play. Um, it's just so strange. I've, I don't think I've ever seen that before where somebody out of bounds touches what do you think? the ball. What do you think, Bronner? What should, what, should the, what should the rule be? Keep it as is? Do you I mean, it's pretty rare that that opportunity presents itself. Maybe just like. You know, kick it in the air. <laughs> I mean, what should be the penalty though? The same. I, I I don't have an issue with the forty. Thirty-five. Is that where it comes out to? I think the we're splitting. I think 40? we're splitting hairs at that point. Just changing rules to change rules. I think it's the forty. I think it's always been the forty so for a kick a out of bounds. You don't have a problem. I mean, I'd say that's the worst rule in football because we were talking about the ball going out of the back, the end zone. Yeah. But you don't have a problem with this. Not not really. But he didn't kick it out is the thing. But he's being penalized for kicking it out. But he didn't kick it out. Kicked it damn close to out. But it didn't. It'd be like, oh, dude, almost made a free throw. Let's give him a point. I'd like to know why the guy went out of bounds to do what he did, though. Well, he to give him a penalty. So it wouldn't be down at the five. So it got advanced to the to the 40. That's why he did it. I mean, like I said, a heads-up play. He did it him. to take advantage of what's a loophole in the rule. Right. Well, I mean, it was a smart play. Credit to him, then. Of course. So, but my question is, what should be, which, Bronner, Bronner says keep the rule as is. I say we go back to the drawing board. I mean, if you're intentionally doing what he just did, I mean, you admitted it was a loophole. Close the loophole! <laughs> <laughs> Smart play. Good coaching. Uh, I like when there's like a little loophole in the rule book like that. Yeah. Figure out how to stop it. Just kick the ball in the air. You're a professional kicker in the NFL. Just kick it through the back of the end zone. You should be doing that 80% but, of the time but, anyway. But what's funny is that's that's actually a pretty good strategy is to down it right there at the five so he yeah. has to pick it up. Yeah. People in the app are bringing this up as well. Bama used this in the uh, SEC championship. Kendrick Law did that I think twice, I want to say, in against Georgia. I can't remember exactly the circumstances, but I think he did the exact same yeah. thing. You know, I was at the game and kind of didn't 
really realize same thing at the time that that was something you could do. I was like, what what are you doing? Yeah. Let the kick go out of bat, but you know, it's a heads up play. All right, when we come back, we'll take your phone call, 694-1055. Uh, hour number two, we'll have your daily dose of fried deliciousness, which also includes Ross Jackson on the Saints in the NFL, Mick Gillespie on Alabama, uh, John Ricchetti as well. So we got a lot going on. We'll wrap up hour number one on a busy edition of the opening kickoff, Barkley and Bronner. Oh, and do we need to talk about – I know there's a lot going on. I guess we don't need to talk, but do we need to talk about Bass Pro Shop guy? Because now there's somebody else in the state of Alabama that is fighting for his attention. Might er be worth a mention. Might be worth a mention. Have you heard about Urn Guy? I've heard something about Urn Guy. You might have to fill me in on the details. Urn Guy is, uh, his story is growing legs. And, uh, <laughs> watch out, Florida. Here comes the state of Alabama when it comes to news of the weird. Wrapping up hour number one next right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. <laughs> There's a sling, there's Nakua, and there is one of the two records remaining. Six fifty. Welcome back in. We're wrapping up hour number one of the opening kickoff here on WNSP. Uh, Nakua, the touchdown catch in the Rams win came from Carson Wentz. I uh, wanted to play that because. He established a new record for rookie receivers, most yards and most catches in one year. It's a record that stood for over 60, 63 years, and it's going to come back as a Chick-fil-A question in about an hour. Uh, so usually off-season is about the time we kind of get into the news of the weird, but sometimes there's some news of the weird that's just so ridiculous that you have to talk about it regardless of the time of year. And so last week – it leads the Bass Pro Shops there. A man was taken into custody, Lee, after uh, stripping down, jumping naked into that massive aquarium. And um, there's video. And then apparently knocked himself unconscious in the process somehow. All right, so it's just gone viral. I think he climbed out of the tank and took a... Pretty steep fall onto yeah. a concrete well, floor. I mean, you know, his feet were wet, among I'm other assuming things. Assuming there are no piranha in the uh, aquarium. No piranha. He might have been on something. Yeah, no, he, in all seriousness, I think he got arrested and then I think taken for an evaluation for, for a mental evaluation. Absolutely. But this has gone absolutely viral. Uh, and he was charged with public lewdness, disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, assault. On a police officer, I might add. Um, criminal mischief and reckless endangerment. But imagine bringing little Johnny to the Bass Pro Shops and there's a full moon out and a little bit of a sausage. What do, they, what, do they, what do they have? What do they have in the aquarium? What kind of fish? Um, tainted fish now. Yeah. Uh, they had to put them down, unfortunately. I mean, them. Yeah. What if they I had mean, a swordfish? The fish, the fish, not the, not the guy. <laughs> swordfish or a, a shark or anything like that. Nothing like, I, nothing like that. I honestly don't know. I've never seen the aquarium at, at Bass Pro Shop, but I'm just curious. So, 
in the, uh, I guess because we're a competitive people, there is a viral video now on social media that's that was from a New Year's Eve party. I think it was Mountain Brook. And the guy is certainly no is just simply known as Connor the Urn Guy. This dude somehow decided it was a good idea to get into this urn. Everybody's like, get in, get in, get in. He got in and then was stuck. He couldn't get out. Not his head wasn't submerged, like because it's an urn, so I guess it went to about his waist. This big urn. He could not get out. Like he 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 got in. I think he like bent his knees, and at that point. He couldn't get out. There is video of this guy at this party. It looks like it's at somebody's home where they are chipping away at the urn with uh, some sort of hammer or sledgehammer before he could get out. So it went from funny, haha, I'm getting in, to this guy yelling expletives because he's doing all he can and he can't get out. And somebody recorded the whole thing, put it on social media, and it is blown up. In fact, a Jimmy Kimmel writer has done this, like, parody as his wife. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the Jimmy Kimmel writer actually was uh, – I got my facts wrong. Actually uh, started reacting to the aquarium in the Bass Pro Shops. But this guy has now gotten viral numbers for being in the urn and people watching this whole thing unfold at a party. So did they try anything like slippery or slick, oil, olive oil, anything to try to extract them first of all before they started chipping away? A little cocoa butter? Anything little that, margarine? Yeah, something that would little Pam. give them, like a lot of times you get stuck or something and they'll put something that will help it, uh, you know, get a ring off your finger or something like that. And of course this is a little bit unusual, but still. Maybe some, you know, baby oil, maybe some olive oil. Uh, I don't know. As you said, butter, anything. I'm not, I'm not sure how much of that was readily available at this New Year's Eve party. Wasn't that better than trying to chip away at this thing, at least to get well, it a Well, they finally just broke the urn. Oh, they okay. broke it so he could get out. Was it a big urn or a little person? I think a little of both. I'm, huh. I'm uh, like I'm thinking he wasn't the biggest guy in the world. So he earned his keep? Ah, uh, By the way, somebody said uh, Bass Pro Shops guys. He's into those big mouth bass. <laughs> he went fishing, but that doesn't uh, play well as well. Reading the comment yeah, uh, <laughs> out loud. Yeah, he went fishing. Small bait. All right, guys. Next week, playoffs. Best game on tap. What do you think, Michael? Oh, I like the Browns Texans game. You do. Obviously, the network—I mean, the NFL does it because they put that game on first on Saturday. That they—I'm assuming they feel that's of all the matchups, that's probably going to be the lowest rated. Although they'll probably have good ratings. I like the uh, Detroit Rams game. Yeah, you know Stafford going back to Detroit. Yes, I like that game. I think that's the one I kind of like. Yeah, to be honest with I you. like that, and I would say. It's unfortunate, but I think Miami, Kansas City has potential. But now that it's on Peacock, I don't know if I'll be able to watch it. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm really into this Flacco storyline. Stroud, rookie at home, going against that probably best defense in the league. But you can correct me on this, but it seems like any year that Houston made postseason, they're always the first game. I think I think you're right about They're that. They're always yeah. the first game. Let's get them out of the way. Yeah. So no, look, I don't think either are playing great, but I do think Eagles Bucks have this chance to actually be like competitive. I think that's going to be 
And, and I don't think we're going to sit there and say, man, that's some great football. But I think from a competitive standpoint, I mean, the wheels are kind of falling off in Philly. Tampa's not great anyway. I think, think that about, has a chance. Think about the Eagles. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago or about, about a month ago, Kansas City and, and Philadelphia, the two teams that met in the Super Bowl last year, were both going really, really good. And the wheels have fallen off basically both programs now. And you know how hard it is to get back to the Super Bowl. And I'm not sure either or is given that much, let's say, uh, thought as to they're going to get back there and defend uh, in the case of Kansas City defending or the Eagles getting back there and what's really interesting about Dallas unseating Philadelphia as the top team I think you have to go back to the beginning of the century like 2001 or 2002 for the last time that a team won back-to-back titles in the east it seems to change almost every year yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that Monday night wild card game. I don't really need that. I kind of wish there were three on Saturday, three on Sunday. I'm with you. I wish there was three on Saturday because, again, I wish they – we again, I'll try to get Peacock, but I don't know if I can. Did you say on Saturday? Yeah. And uh, playoffs are different. Playoffs oh, okay, are okay. different. All right, all right, Play- there's always been Saturday playoff. Because you had that hot take. Yes, I I realized how that sounded. Playoffs. <laughs> there's always been Saturday playoff games. That's not like this new concept. I agree. There's I'm always been. Okay. Sa- okay. It's like what they've done in the last like year trying to make Saturday regular season games a thing. Playoffs. You dedicate your entire weekend to NFL. All right. Hour number two is next. Ross Jackson will recap Saints, Falcons, maybe. I don't know. We'll probably spend most of that time talking about Dennis Allen and uh, the former Falcons coach, Arthur Smith, and Jameis. By the way, Lee, I think the uh, my official prediction here is that the Patriots are going to keep Belichick and hire a GM. Oh. But I could be wrong. We'll find out All right, this week. I'm searching now. Looking for news. NFL news. Give it to me. All right. Ross Jackson... John Ricchetti, Mick Gillespie, Chick-fil-A, Glenn Gilbo. Boom, 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 boom. It's the opening kickoff. Here we go. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. Yeah, here we are. Already an hour in, and we're cooking here on a Monday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. All right, what we're going to do is we get to Ross Jackson. We'll set the stage for you for the NFL playoffs next week. On Saturday, it'll start out. We already talked about this with the Browns. Uh, they'll be at home, and they'll be hosting uh, Texan. I'm sorry, Cleveland goes to Houston. My fault. Cleveland goes to Houston. That's the first game. And then the Saturday night game is Miami and uh, Kansas City. Then you have the three games on Sunday, starting with the Steelers going to um, Baltimore. No, 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 that's not correct either. um, Buffalo, they go to Buffalo. And that's followed by the afternoon game, and that's the Packers in Dallas, and then the Rams and the Lions at night, and then the 
Monday night game, uh, Philadelphia and Tampa. Saints did not make it, uh, but the Saints game created quite a bit of controversy for what happened at the end of the game. Ross Jackson covers the Saints, does a great job with us on the air. And Ross, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Good morning. Glad to be here with you. Good. Okay, so let's get right to the end of that game. Unfortunately, the Saints did not make the postseason, but they certainly made quite a bit of news with the controversy with Arthur Smith and Dennis Allen. What was so important, in, in your opinion, with uh, Williams scoring the touchdown, and do you agree with the call to overshadow what the uh, head coach of the Saints had called for the players to go against it? Yeah, uh, the reason why it was important is because this team loves Jamal Williams. And Jamal Williams was the leading um, touchdown uh, touchdown rusher last year with 17 rushing touchdowns. Did not have uh, a rushing touchdown this season uh, going into this game. There was an opportunity there at the one-yard line to get him a touchdown. The players really wanted to get him that touchdown. Dennis Allen did not. He wanted them to go down and kneel. I think that the right decision, and I think that the better decision was choosing to go for the touchdown. But what I don't agree with is changing the play at the line especially coming out in victory formation and running out of victory formation there's just a you know that's 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 a little much uh but i do think going out there and running a play straight up your offense versus their defense it's their job to stop your offense as opposed to kind of the fake out there which was a change at the line of scrimmage by the players that's the part that i have a little bit of a i look at a little bit sideways you know what i I pretty much agree with everything you just said there and then here's the other issue and i know you're aware of it because you're on social media right so the Clearly, he doesn't have that locker room, right? They're just like, whatever, D.A., we're going to do our thing. You just sit there and play the role of coach. And then secondly, uh, Dennis Allen threw the players underneath the bus in the press conference where he should have just said, yeah, hey, that's my bad. You know, this is why we did it. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe we shouldn't have done it. But it was, you know, done the whole PR spin and not throwing his people under the bus. And now he's got – Saints Nation, all Huda Nation, all up in arms because he apologized to the Atlanta Falcons coach. Like he, like I think he just made things worse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I'll say this: I don't think that he's lost the locker room. I think that the 49 minutes and 47 seconds, or 48 minutes and 47 seconds before that moment, or was it 58 minutes? Whatever. The 58 minutes before that moment proved that right. This team has fought, fought, clawed, scratched for that head coach, with that head coach, everything like that. So I don't agree that he's lost the locker room. I do, though, think that there's probably a disconnect between he and Jameis Winston. And surprise, surprise, the guy that you benched for a year and a half, yeah, uh, you know, who was supposed to be your starting quarterback, and then you went out and got a $150 million quarterback, had a different idea than you did. Shocker, right? So, like, I'm not super <laughs> not super surprised by that. Nor am I, like, disappointed. I don't think that it was the wrong call by Jameis Winston either. I just think that doing it out of victory formation yeah, I agree is, with that. is a little cheap. You know what I mean? But – uh, but overall, look, Dennis Allen, I think, was put in a tough spot. He gets chewed out after the end of the game by Arthur Smith. And then he goes up, and he's kind of got this decision to make. Do I go with the NFL head coaching fraternity, or do I go with my player fraternity? And in my opinion, he made the wrong choice. He went with the NFL coaching fraternity. I would have gone with the player fraternity and done exactly as you mentioned. Yeah, look, that's not, you know, we weren't really trying to run the score up or anything like that. Jamal Williams, we really wanted to get him a touchdown. The players really wanted to get him a touchdown. So we went out there and we got him a touchdown. That's a way to win over your fan base. It's a way to win over your locker room. Make sure that there isn't any kind of, you know, you handling disconnection there. And then you handle anything else 
behind closed doors in terms right. of the address with the team. I think the thing that was the most egregious was throwing the team under the bus. That's where, out of this entire situation, whether it's what happened on the field or what happened off the field, that I think is kind of the, the, the worst of the worst. Are there repercussions against Jameis Winston? I don't think so. I mean, he's a free agent this year. Like, yeah. he's got nothing to lose, right? Like, it, it seemed very unlikely that he was going to be back this year anyway. He'll probably be designated as a post-June 1 cut, which means he'll be available as a free agent in March. But the Saints will sort of carry that salary cap and, and defer it over the course of the next two years uh, with that post-June 1 cut. I, I don't think that Jameis Winston had anything to lose here, and, and I don't think there would be any repercussions because he's kind of like a senior graduating from high school, right? You're like, okay, well, what, what are you going to do, expel me? Right. You know what I mean? And so, so I don't blame him. And, and, and to be clear, it, it wasn't just a Jameis Winston decision. It was the entire offense's decision to go out there and do that. It was a player decision. And I don't think that there will be any repercussions against any player for making that choice. You know, it's amazing. What well, was really funny, uh, not funny, I don't know what the right word is, but hearing Jameis explain it, I mean, it was well thought out, well articulated. Like, it's, it's almost like it's hard to argue. So even if you had a problem with it, you're like, man, I'm kind of on board with this now. Like, he's just... I think the maturity he showed in that answer, whether it was BS or authentic, and I think it was authentic. I think I just he's he's matured so much. Um, you just wish he could he could play as well as he could articulate his thoughts on that final play. Yeah, I think you know you listen to any of the other players that spoke on it as well. Caesar Ruiz, Eric McCoy, you know Jamal spoke on it too. Like everybody, you know, it, yeah. it is it is authentic. It is genuine. Like that was the reason that they went out there and did what they did. And I thought that Jameis handled himself in a really really fantastic manner. Uh, and you know he had to kind of hold his demeanor because he was challenged quite a bit uh, on that decision and everything. And I, I thought he did a wonderful job navigating what, what was otherwise a um, you know a complicated situation. But the the thing that I'll say about it is that they made the decision for a good reason. I, I don't think that anybody went out there to do anything malicious. The reasons why I push back on the locker room loss thing because I think that people will try to diminish this to the point to where it becomes the players versus Dennis Allen or Jameis Winston versus Dennis Allen, when it was the players wanting to do something good for Jamal Williams, wanting to do something good for their teammate. And to me, that's, that was the real impetus, the real catalyst for all this. And that should be the thing that that's kind of upheld as the, as the standard for what message the Saints sent yesterday. Russ Jackson on Saints podcast. How do you grade this season for the uh, Saints? Uh, D, uh, do they, you know, a little bit below average, right? Like, I expected this team to be a 10-win team or a double-digit win team. They weren't, right? Like, they they were a 9-win team this year. They missed the playoffs. It's the third year in a row. They finished second in the division, which is nice, but that also means that they have a more complicated schedule uh, next season and everything like that. They got a lot of work to do over the course of the offseason. Uh, I don't think that this team is one piece away from being a contender. I think it's several pieces away from being a contender, but you've got some optimism here in terms of what you saw from some of the young pieces that they'll retain going from this year into next year. So, uh, you know, I, I, I give it a D because the expectations were so high. Uh, but I, I, that's not to say that there's no uh, positivity moving forward from what the New Orleans Saints have, especially what they've shown over the course of the last five games. Yeah, we talked about it earlier today, Ross, and I, I, I did a quick little math thing here. It looks like of all their wins, only three came against teams that wound up with winning records. I mean, it just it was right. it was a bad schedule. So you said D. I was thinking D, C minus at best. I, mm-hmm. What, with that said, and and this is this is this is one of my concerns is because they dominated a Falcons team, albeit a bad Falcons team. I really hope that short-term results don't lead to long-term decisions. I don't know if there are any long-term decisions to be made here, 
But if there were, what 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 would they be? What what are the what are the long term? What's the front office thinking now going into the offseason? What are the main priorities? Yeah, I think the offense has to be the main priority, right? You have this 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 quarterback that you went out and that you got and Derek Carr who looked great over the course of the past five games, but where was all of that throughout the early portions of the year and sort of that comes down to health and all that, but a lot of it came down to play calling, came down to the offensive system, the scheme, running routes into the same areas of the field, having playmakers off the field in situations that they should be on the field, uh, runs on second and ten after incomplete passes, which was a tendency that continued in yesterday's game against Atlanta, so on and so forth. I think that you know that's got to be the place where you you look for long term change. And I don't, and I agree with you. I don't think that the short term success at the end of this season should outweigh what we have seen over the course of the past. 30, what, 34 games, right, between the last two seasons of Pete Carmichael calling an offense, it's not working. It's not today's NFL. It's not a modern-day offense. The Saints need to kind of get with the program here and and work on improving and and moving their offense into a state of modernity. And so I don't think that the success of, let's say, the last two games in particular uh, should outweigh all of the concerns that this team had to try to surmount figuring out that play action helps at the end of the season is inexcusable, right? Yeah. So for me, that that's a big thing is that there still has to be some, some improvement done there. And there needs to be a complete relook at the offensive line, whether that's from the coaching staff and the personnel, ideally both and figure out if there's some way for them to be able to um, kind of patchwork, fix that offensive line over the course of the offseason. So around the NFL now, uh, everybody wanted to, if there's going to be any other coaches besides Arthur Smith that is let go. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, who, what other coaches might be expendable today? Yeah, it seems like Ron Rivera is is likely to be on the way out at some point. So I'd be watching out for the Washington Commanders there. Uh, we'll see what happens with Matt Eberflus and the uh, and the Chicago Bears, but I know that there's a lot of conversation around that potentially being a change too, which all of a sudden probably becomes the most desire one of the most desirable landing spots this offseason um i I would look the the raiders and panthers are already open the raiders though i think going with antonio pierce and continuing to roll with what you're what you're starting to build here in the latter portion of the season would be wise uh and then you know the other two that you're looking for in the afc are going to be what's going to happen with mike vrabel and the tennessee titans he's scheduled for his usual year-end meeting today we'll see what that you know, ends in, and then, of course, there's been a ton of conversation around a check and the potential uh, for the New England Patriots to finally move in a different direction there, making Bill Belichick then the number one head coaching candidate that would be on the market if that were to come to fruition. Uh, we've had two teams really stumble down the stretch, Eagles and the uh, Dolphins. What do you make of them, and do, the, do you give any te- either of them hope in the postseason? Yeah, I think I give a little bit more hope to the uh, Miami Dolphins than I do with the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, just like, something happened within their play calling that kind of changed midseason, and it looks like they kind of run the same four plays on offense over and over and over again and just have refused to go away from that. Now you have this middle finger injury for Jalen Hurts. We'll see what that impact ends up being and all that. Uh, it, it, it's it, To me, like the, the Philadelphia Eagles' downward spiral is significant. It is a significant downward spiral spiral and it's going to be very hard to kind of pick yourself up from a nosedive in that case uh, as for the the Miami Dolphins they still have all their core pieces they have what they need to be able to win the biggest thing is can their defense do what it needs to do on the other side and can you know you you not throw an interception at the you know as you're trying to drive and win your division 
but so I, I give the the Dolphins a little bit more of a vote of confidence for me. That might be because I had a lot of confidence for them going into the season more so than I had Philadelphia. So it's just sort of the average of the way out. Uh, but I, I do think right now, based upon the circumstances of Philadelphia and the circumstances around Miami, I give Miami a little bit more of an edge. Not not to throw more gas on the fire, but hypothetically, rhetorically asking for a friend, if you were if you were Las Vegas. Uh, uh, a hypothetical uh, Eagles-Saints matchup, wouldn't you kind of give the Saints, uh, at the very least, a, a small edge based on the way the Eagles oh. have played here? I mean, that, I guess that's one of the more disappointing things about the Saints not getting in is they had a legit shot at, at winning their first-round game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that they would have been in good position there. It would have been very interesting to see them win the wild card and have to travel to Dallas yeah. and see because I think there's a lot of people that don't fully believe in the Cowboys. Uh, that would have been a good measure of that game if the Saints offense would have continued sort of its trajectory as what we saw over the course of the end of the season. But it, it would have been interesting to see the, the Philadelphia Eagles have to come to town here in New Orleans and, you know, go up against them here in the playoffs. Uh, that would have been a – I think the Saints would have been a little bit better positioned than maybe we thought that they would have been, let's say, the middle of – of the year um so that yeah i think that that's a, a big time missed opportunity but you know look it, it, it's the way that the calendar falls out you know you, you you don't miss a field goal in green bay or you don't give up a 17 point lead in green bay pick your poison um and maybe we're having a very different conversation here today hey ross great stuff as always we certainly appreciate it as we uh move toward the saints off season how can people continue to follow all your coverage of that organization Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. The Locked on Saints podcast will remain daily every single day, even throughout the off season. so we're not going anywhere. You can find that on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked on Saints. Find all the written work over at Saints News Network. That's Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. And you can find it all in one place on your favorite social media at Ross Jackson, NOLA, and OLA. Hey, man. Thanks. Have a great week. Appreciate the time. Thanks, buddy. Y'all take care. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right, uh, scoreboard traffic and weather next. The Mill Lake Golf Report is also following that. Mick Gillespie on Inside Alabama. Uh, and your daily dose of fried deliciousness. All coming up in this hour alone. It's a fun-filled Monday edition right here on the Sports Station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Stay with us. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. Welcome back in here on a busy Monday. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee and Bron are all in the studios of WNSP. Time for the Miller Lite Golf Report. Here's John Ricchetti updating us on what happened in Hawaii to open up the PGA season. Johnny? Yeah, it was uh, great to see uh, the PGA Tour up and running, guys. Uh, Primetime television where obviously the views are spectacular at Kapalua, but uh, a golf course that didn't pose much of a test really for these guys. But uh, Chris Kirk got the job done at 29 under par. Uh, it's the first time he's won in a while. Excuse me, since last year's sixth PGA Tour victory. Wasn't qualified for the Masters, but uh, with the win yesterday, did will be at the Augusta National. And here we are starting the 2024 season talking about the Masters, which is the Masters, which is a few months, obviously, down the road. So, golly, uh, missed a putt on the 30 on the 72nd hole yesterday would have possibly uh, 
would have put a little more heat on Chris Kirk. And even though he did shoot 10 under par, 63 yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, scoring was at a premium premium yesterday. Sing B in today, PGA to a record with 34 birdies uh, throughout the weekend. So obviously, uh, guys are making a lot of birdies at the Kapalu, of course, in Hawaii. We'll be on the air tonight, live at 6 o'clock from Felix's Fish Camp with a complete recap of the world of golf and preview the first official event of 2024, the Sony Open, uh, as the PJ Tour continues in the state of Hawaii this week. Hey, John, we always appreciate you coming aboard, man. Have a great week. Enjoy the show tonight, and we'll be in touch. All right, guys. Have a great week. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk some Alabama coming up here at 730. You mentioned we. I just got finished joking on Friday about how it was nice to get some news before 9 a.m., right? And it always happens that news breaks on Friday after we're off the air, and sure enough, Auburn parts ways with Montgomery. Yeah, and this is something that we'll explore more in detail tomorrow with with, uh, with Matt Cohen uh, as far as Hugh Freeze and this dilly-dallying back and forth, who's calling the plays, who's not, and... You know, I, I, my feeling is, you know, when Hugh Freeze was brought in, offense of play calling was supposed to be his strong point. And I don't know where they're going to go direction-wise. I saw some names mentioned. But, again, until something happens. But I think that Hugh Freeze should just decide, hey, look, I'm going to bring in an offensive coordinator, but th this is in my ballpark. I'm the one who's going to be calling plays now. If we're going to get it done, it's got to be me. I know we had the same thing going on with Gus Malzahn. Year in and year out. Guy comes in, who's doing this, who's doing that? Well, the difference was, you remember, Texas A&M, Jimbo couldn't give us an answer on who was, you know, back in SEC media days in spring, who was going to be the play caller. Our guy at Auburn, Freeze says, man, Philip Montgomery's calling the plays. And it's like we applaud him for letting it be known that's how it was going to happen. And, of course, midway through the season, he had to get involved. Now, all of a sudden, he's calling the plays. And now he doesn't have enough time to call the plays during the bowl season because he's out recruiting. And now, all of a sudden, here we are back at square one after one year. Black Monday has struck. Ron Rivera fired. There you go. Not surprising at all, Frank. No, but, <laughs> but Lee loves him some Black Monday. Lee, Lee loves to see a coach get fired he's the day after right the end now. of the regular season. Lee's jumping for joy. Look Ron Rivera him. has been fired. That would have been an upset if he was not. Yes. I like Ron Rivera. I, I think too. he's a really good coach, and I hope one of the other teams out there that needs a coach hires him. I really like him. All right, 729. We're talking Todd next. Stay with us. in motion. Henry the call. Block by Starowski. He's got in. Touchdown. All right, 7.32. We're at the halfway point of a busy Monday morning edition of the opening kickoff. Mark, Lee, and Brunner all in the studios of WNSP. So Derrick Henry with a touchdown, 150 yards plus rushing yesterday in what could be his final game as a Tennessee Titan. And with the yardage, he becomes the all-time leading rusher for a running back from this state who played at either Alabama, Auburn, or you know came out of this state. Uh, Derrick Henry surpassing Sean Alexander uh, for that mark in the uh, NFL. And the word is that uh, he, he being a free agent may not be back with the Titans. But somebody who is back 
Mick Gillespie inside Alabama. Good morning, Mick. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Pretty good. A lot to cover with uh, players coming and going. First of all, it appears Alabama did very well in commitments from that All-America game this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Look, they got Bam Bam Minty out of uh, Daytona Beach, who's a, another guy that, that'll help you know, try to replace uh, Terrion Arnold and Kool-Aid in the secondary. They're bringing in seven different guys. And you're talking about some, some mega uh, prospects to try to rebuild the secondary that they lost this year. So, you know, adding him is a big deal. Uh, they also got Hill out of Meridian, a running back, with um, Roy Dell Williams transferring and uh, uh, Chase McClellan going to the NFL or probably going to the NFL. I'm guessing that he's going to announce that sometime soon. You, got, you know, you just want depth, but Justice Haynes is obviously going to be, to me, the next guy. We'll see more Jam Miller next year, but you still want depth at running back. So why is the one about Roydell Williams, uh, I guess, caught me a little by surprise. Why is he transferring? Is it a money deal? I mean, that's, that's what I'm thinking. You know, I was surprised, and I think it really hurt Alabama not having him in the national championship game. He had an injured ankle and didn't play a lot. And, um, you know, just talking to, to Mike Johnson, you know, who played in the NFL and was on uh, some of my shows, does, uh, you know, was an offensive lineman. He just kept talking about how much he liked Roy Dell Williams better than any of Alabama's other running backs. And, you know, how he had, I think he described it, just a, a little extra shimmy, you know, read the holes, blocked, you know, and, and, and you go back and you look at that game and you think of all those sacks. Well, think about how good Roy Dell is at blocking in the pass game, you know, and that's something that uh, Alabama certainly could have used when they were getting sacked all the time against Michigan. So him not being in there was, to me, was a, led to an impact in the game. And um, I hate to see him go because, you know, I just thought he was a, a, an all-around good player. Alabama insider Mick Gillespie joining us. So in addition to Williams, of the many who have opted for the portal or gone to the NFL, who is Alabama going to miss the most? Uh, honestly, um, maybe Earl Little Jr., who's going to uh, – Florida State to play in their secondary, I'd say to me he'd be maybe the top of the list. Uh, Seth McLaughlin going to Ohio State, I, I don't know. I mean, if you can't snap the ball, you know, I, I described him as being uh, having some of the same issues as Chuck Knobloch. You remember him just kind of having the, the ips. He's a good player, but he had the ips. And, um, but you're going to have to replace your center now. But there was obviously issues because it wasn't just this year. It was last year, too. Bryce Young, though, you know, helped him would, would basically could just work through it. Uh, this year it just became a, a, a big deal because every time you turned around, the guy was snapping the ball past the quarterback. But with that said, he's going to Ohio State, and it sounds like he's going to start there. I don't think that there was, um, of the guys that left, Anyone besides Roy L. Williams where I was like, okay, yeah, this, this is really going to hurt. But, uh, you know, if I had to put my – I said the other guy would probably be uh, Little going to uh, Florida State. Then interesting, though, about McLaughlin. In, in one minute you're you're going to the portal. The next minute you wind up in, a, in an alpha program as good as Ohio State for just one year of eligibility. You know, I, I do a podcast with our friend Jake Coker called Elephant in the Room, and uh, we talk about – 
you know, stuff all the time, like why can't the snaps get there? And, you know, he played for Alabama and won a championship, but he also played at Florida State and won there. And that's where he really kind of learned, like, you know, uh, the quarterback position from Jimbo Fisher and, uh, and Randy Sanders. And he talked about Jimbo saying to him that you can't drive with your head down. You know, and basically meaning that you got to get the snap where you can, where you just know where it is, and you can watch out over the field to make your next move and play. You know, and I've thought about that a lot throughout this entire season because it's something that we've talked about on that YouTube show an awful lot is being able to, to being able to see the field when you quarterback. So for McLaughlin, I, I don't understand why it was so difficult for him to get the snaps to Bryce Young last year and then even more this year, um, you know, get him to the quarterback. But what, what one of the things that Jake talked about was different ways to indicate that you need to snap, you know, what maybe like a leg step or a head nod or, you know, the Alabama seemed to use the clap all the time, you know, where they would just clap. Um, and so maybe, maybe Ohio State's looking and saying, hey, you know what, if they would have made this adjustment, it would have been a lot easier for this guy because there's a, there's a bunch of things that he does well. You know, he blocks well. He Obviously, he helps read defense as well. I mean, it's not like he's a terrible player. It's just that this one area of his game was just so inconsistent. So I'm guessing that somebody's watching film going, hey, we can correct this. Nicholas, be joining us. Uh, do you think Jermaine Burton's a high draft pick in the NFL? No, uh, I think he'll get drafted probably late in the draft. I don't know, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth round. I think he will get drafted. I thought he was a good player for Alabama. Maybe we've been spoiled by watching guys that take over every game and not just a few games. But, um, you know, I, I worry about Burton's, um, you know, some of the other stuff that goes along with his game, the personal fouls, you know, the – the, the, the game in Tennessee where he pushed the girl's face when the people ran down on the field. It seems like there's always something going on there. So I'm curious to see what that looks like in the NFL. But if I'm a, I'm a GM and uh, I'm picking uh, players, you know, that's something that I'm going to keep in mind. And that would probably keep me from picking him a little bit higher. Would you take away from Alabama's victory on the basketball floor against Vanderbilt the other day to get the league play started with the victory? You know, I, this this basketball team to me is really inconsistent. I think that their standards um, are well. Obviously, they're high. I mean, they're SEC champs. Uh, you know, Nate Oates is the best coach that Alabama's had since I've been covering the team. This team. What I love about this team is that they go and they'll play anyone. You know, I, I look at the women's team. They have this big record, and they, but when you look at who they played every year, no competition, and, you know, it's like I'm just going to hide so that it looks good on paper and I have a job. You know, Nate Oates is taking a risk. I mean, you go out and you start playing Creighton on the road and you play Arizona on the road, and then, you know, you get in the conference schedule and, you know, you're about a 500 team, a little bit better. Uh, you got to win these games. And they had an 18-point lead. Then all of a sudden, they it, it, it was gone. You know, like they have to play more consistent on defense. And and I really feel like, in, in just my opinion, that it hurts not having kind of that Brandon Miller type of guy. You know, Sears has been good for them, uh, scoring points. And you know, and and I feel like um, 
Right cell off the bench is kind of like a guy that helps them out a lot too. Maybe he's kind of like the the, the new Quinterly who who uh, left and went to um, to Memphis. It, it just feels like something isn't quite there with them defensively, you know. And and they can score a bunch of points in a hurry, and then they can blow a lead in a hurry, you know. So I, I think that they've got to get better defensively. But look, going on the road and winning in Nashville, something that Nados has made a habit of. Alabama hasn't really lost to teams that they should beat a whole lot since he's been there. Uh, but it's but at the same time, you know, I, I, I just see a lot of concerning stuff when when you can when you can watch an 18 point lead disappear as fast as that, that did in the first half. You know, you're going okay to, to a team like Vanderbilt that's not that good. You know, you're going hey, we got some issues here. Nick, as always, appreciate you joining us to update us on what's going on with Alabama. So you see some other uh, players coming and going this week? Have you heard of anything that we didn't I, touch I, on? I'm, yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I really feel like we're kind of like with the transfer, the extended window shut. You know, I think Alabama's going to keep adding. Uh, they're going to be picky about the guys that they do add, um, you know, just like they did this weekend in the All-American game. When the, you know the next recruiting cycle comes in, in February and, and you're allowed to add players, I think Ryan Williams is going to end up coming to Tuscaloosa. I bet Auburn's going to throw a lot of money at him, but I, I got a feeling that they're going to build the entire offense, you know, wide receiver wise around him. Wouldn't be surprised if he's not a, a Julio Jones type guy. Where you know, remember Julio coming from Foley? I mean first play of the first game he ever played was to him, you know, a pass from John Parker Wilson to him. I, I think Ryan Williams is going to be kind of the same thing when he gets to Tuscaloosa. So I'm excited about that. I think they'll go out and, you know, and try to add a center. Uh, now that they lost McLaughlin, um, you know, obviously they could use some help with edge rushers. Uh, the secondary rebuilding, you know, with seven new guys there, uh, but all four and five-star prospects going to be interesting to see how that turns out but as far as guys leaving you know i think that that this team is motivated to get back to the college football playoff i think that this year they were a year ahead of schedule and they got really close i think they should have been playing tonight but uh but they did but they lost you know and i think they feel that way so it's exciting to kind of see this team motivated to uh to get back for unfinished business Mick, you made a comment there uh, that probably would have landed you in social media jail about five or ten years ago, and I quote: "Auburn's probably going to throw a lot of money at them, but now it's just it, now it's just another Monday in college football, man. We've come a long way." Yeah, well, I mean, let, let's be honest here. I mean, you know, Auburn's program has been so bad and inconsistent, and coaches in, coaches out. Why would you want to go there? Well, you know what my dad used to say: you know, money talks, and you know what walks. You know, and that's. That's what they're going to have to do, and obviously, you know, they're getting players um, to go there, right? And the way they're doing it is with cash, but that's fair. I mean, that's the way that the game works now. You know, so for Alabama, you know, they're going to have to kind of crank up their NIL and and protect those guys that want to come there. You know, uh, it, you're right. I mean, if, if five, ten years ago it was illegal, even though it was happening, you know, <laughs> now it's kind of part of the uh, of the deal. It's a shame to see, honestly, where college football has gone um, with the fact that it's not amateur athletics anymore. And, you know, and, and it's unfair because there really isn't a cap on how much money you can spend. Um, 
you know, there's there's big time competitive advantages for teams with money. You know, I mean, look how fast Texas turned their program around. You know, like when you got the kind of cash that they have to drop. You know, but you still have to to have the right people in place. And you look at Texas A&M, even when you spend money, or Florida State. You know, you better have you better have the right culture in place as well. And that's something that Nick Saban has made uh, you know a career on is is making the right culture. So. Um, yeah, so I'm confident as you know, just as a guy that covers Alabama every day, that that's going to continue. But but at the same time, if you're Alabama, you know, and I know Alabama fans probably don't want to hear this, but you, you better donate to their uh, NIL collectives because when you're in a spot like Auburn, and you, I mean, look, you stink every year. I mean, they've been bad for a long time. The way that they're going to get out of that is going out and paying people, playing, paying players as much as they can pay them to go there to make their program better. And if I was out, and if it was Alabama back when I was in school, we were really bad, and we were losing every year to Auburn and all of our rivals. We would have done anything to get out of that rut. You know, the Shula days and and uh, Franchoni and Dubose and all that stuff. So, you know, Alabama's been in the same spot back in a different era, and um, the way that you get out of it these days is by spending money. Mick, enjoyed it, sir. Have a great week. We'll be in touch. Let's do it again. Hey, guys, thanks for hanging out. Roll Tide. Mark, on the subject of money, and this was a discussion we had last week, uh, Michael, you, you brought up, I did, about the running back from Ole Miss, Jetkins, who was transferring, and, and we speculated it was about money. Sources have told me that, indeed, it is about the money, and it's not a surprise. And sources have told me that he went into head coach Lane Kiffin and basically asked for a raise, if you want to call it that, or some more money. And Kiffin, from what I've heard, now he got unconfirmed sources telling me he told Jutkins to look elsewhere. Good for Coach Kiffin. There I were mean, other issues to go with this, but that that was the overriding one. Yeah, that's uh, about the least surprising thing I've ever heard. But You know what surprised me this weekend? Do you remember that quarterback last year? He was, I guess, the top-rated quarterback in the nation. Is it Malachi Nelson who went to Southern Cal? Malachi Nelson, yeah. Yeah. He, tra- he, is trans- he entered the portal. Now, Caleb Williams is not coming back, so you figure, well, at least he's got a chance to maybe start, right? I mean, he was the number one. You know where he's transferring to? Boise State. What, what do they have a boatload of money or something that we don't Malachi know about? I think Malachi Nelson might not be very good. I don't know. Well, uh, not, I ha- I'm not putting Boise State down, but, I mean, when you think about a quarterback who is the number one recruit transferring, you're thinking, well, maybe Ohio State, uh, maybe anywhere, but not Boise State. Yeah, I hadn't heard the best of things. You know, when he announced his transfer, I read into it a little bit. Because uh, it seemed like a natural, like, all right, Caleb Williams is gone. Malachi Nelson should be the next guy up. Then they were looking in to bring Will Howard, who ended up going to Ohio, Ohio State. State. Uh, so it seemed weird, like, oh, why is Malachi Nelson not the next guy up? And I, I don't know. It seems like didn't show much of anything in practice all season. I, I, I don't know what the problem is. Uh, I don't know if he's not the five-star-plus prospect he was advertised as, but... Boise State for Malachi Nelson. Wish him the best. When we come back, uh, we're wishing you guys the best on this Monday with a daily dose of fried deliciousness. Here's your shot. We can get back to the Saints and Jameis Winston and Dennis Allen and Arthur Smith. Who knew that the ending of a 
30 plus point blowout would be so entertaining. As a Saints fan, I am here for all of it. We're wrapping up hour number two next, right here on the Sports Station, WNSP. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP. Chick fil A. <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick fil A. All right, here we go. 7.52, and uh, Lee's got you a one-parter, two-parter, multiple choice, true, false. What do we got? This is uh, going back. We mentioned about the Rams receiver, Pukunakoa, who had a fabulous year as a rookie. He set an NFL rookie record for catches and yards. And what we want to know is whose record did he break. It goes back like 63 years to set the new record for rookie receiver yards and catches if you know the answer i will give you a hint the person who did it some 63 years ago the team he was on actually has shifted they're no longer in houston does that help michael that's a that's a good hint you you got a better one if you do no that's a good hint yeah because i it's not somebody that's not like a Lance Allworth or a great receiver from that time but at the time he was a really really good receiver but unfortunately with time and the franchise shifting from Houston to somewhere else you kind of get lost in the shuffle all right if you know the answer 694-1055 is you know Lee, I owe you an apology it's a good question someone got it good job Kevin first call already first call Kevin got it Bill Groman Bill Groman did it many years ago, way before your guys' time. <laughs> Do you remember, Mark, when Bill Groman set the record? For <laughs> <laughs> Feels no. like it was yesterday. <laughs> no. This goes to show you just how, you know, it. we just have a variety on the show. Bill, what's his name? Groman. Bill Groman comes up. Uh, um, you know, Bass Pro Shop guy in the aquarium pops up. Connor, the urn guy, is making a big splash on Twitter these days. I think the other guy's making a bigger splash. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, the aquarium guy. Yeah, Uh. aquarium guy. Well, I don't know how much that video you saw. There wasn't a whole lot. I think he's more of a, it's it's not the size of the wave, but the motion of the ocean kind of stuff. So when when this happened, were there actually people there (laughs) watching in the the aquarium when this happened, though? That's Uh, already on blast. Yeah. Um, Got pile on. Yeah. Um, I I was yeah I mean it was during business you know, hours uh, operating hours so dude just stripped down and jumped in so cool uh, off huh and then uh, hurt himself getting out so it's not for everybody that's for sure all right how many of you have a problem there's so many different aspects to this Saints Falcon story how many of you all have a problem with the Saints putting another touchdown on one. Or is it more of the way in which they did it, in victory formation, and and then and then audibled out? How do you feel about Arthur Smith's response, former Falcon coach? And how do you feel about? There's a lot of questions here. And then the way Dennis Allen handled it all. I think your part two, I'd agree too. The way they did it, I don't blame Arthur Smith. Uh, I'm sure with rumors of his demise as head coach. 
He was very frustrated, felt it was, you know, just adding to the onslaught. I can certainly see where he was coming from. Uh, from the standpoint of you've already got them beat seconds to go, I don't see the necessity. I don't see what big deal it is for Williams to score a touchdown in such a meaningless fashion. But to your point about having going to victory formation and then scoring the touchdown, I would say I have a problem with that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest issue for me was if you want to score a touchdown, <clears throat> I mean, I understand it. I'm not for it there. Um, I understand why they wanted to do it, but chasing meaningless stats, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree. Then I'm a Saints guy. I mean, I'm all for put it on the Falcons. I thought it was probably in poor taste. May, maybe I would have felt different if he had lined up in an offensive formation and said, "We're doing this." Um, it certainly would would be uh, on par with the way this rivalry has gone. Gone now. What I didn't like, I. I Ross Jackson, we had Ross Jackson on. He doesn't think that Dennis Allen doesn't have the respect of his team. I think there's an issue there. If you have a whole offense saying, screw what Dennis Allen said, let's go put one in, I think that's very telling. And then I didn't like the way Dennis Allen handled it in the in the press conference because if, if he hadn't lost his team at that point, he did it at the press conference by throwing him under the bus saying, man, and then apologizing really angered – who that nation? Now I apologize to DA, but I told DA it was a team decision. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we decided. What we we're no, James do. Winston was it's hilarious. Like, you ever heard anyone say anything like that? But it's like people are saying in the app, like get rid of James. James needs to go. Dennis Allen needs to go, man. He has no respect in the locker room. It's not a good football coach. I've yeah. been I've been saying that pretty much since he was hired. His record as a head coach is abysmal. They didn't have a good season this year. Should have been fired last year. Should have been fired in the middle of this year. Yeah. They didn't make the playoffs this and year. And he got his quarterback that he wanted. Yeah. He has no respect in the locker room. Why should he remain the Saints head coach? Yeah. No, I agree. The they haven't had they didn't have a quality like a quality quality win. What's the quality win here? Titans. We saw what they did this year. Carolina, Patriots. The Colts had 9 wins this year. The Rams had 10. Dennis Allen Kind of like Miami Dolphins. Same and they thing. lost to the Rams, right? So their their best win was a, what a, a nine win season uh, against a team, uh, a couple teams that had nine wins a season. Like they did not beat anybody. Yeah, very much worth like the a Dolphins. They just beat the teams that were worse than they were and didn't beat the teams that were better. People want to complain about Pete Carmichael too. Fine, get rid of both. Yeah, this Allen has no respect. In the locker room. He's was, not a good coach. He's yeah. never been a good NFL coach. Why, why should he remain the head coach of the Saints? Because he led some good defenses under Sean Payton? And and we talk about them, this whole patchwork, trying to keep some semblance of what they had under Payton. They haven't made the playoffs in three years. Yeah, it's time to blow it up. Blow it up. Get rid of Michael Thomas. Use him as trade bait. Trade up. Get up. Not, not even around anymore. Get, get that quarterback that's playing tonight for Washington, baby. Get me Penix. When Please said, report to New Orleans. When you said Washington, I was worried there about maybe referring to the NFL team. And there's no, nobody negative. there I want. Negative, Ghost Rider. All right. Uh, Glenn Gilbo's next. Stay with us.
This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Hine, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. Here we are, the third leg of our three-legged race. That probably isn't what I meant to say, but whatever. It's Monday, and here we are. We've got a lot going on. Yeah, and we got a title game tonight. Michigan-Washington for the NCAA championship, and Glenn Gilbo from OutKick is over in Houston to cover it. He's on the air with us right now. Glenn, welcome to the show. Happy New Year. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning, guys. Happy New Year to y'all. You all great. You always come up with a few good nuggets of information. Uh, can you send some our way regarding Michigan, Washington, and maybe help us with our picks? Uh, <laughs> well, they're playing for the national championship tonight. Lee, how about that? <laughs> good start. He's writing this down feverishly. <laughs> slow down. Slow down. Breaking news. Yeah. Breaking news, man. No, it's funny. I have I have some relatives in in Houston, and my wife loaded me down with some Christmas presents for them instead of mailing them. And I uh, was just trying to set one up with with one of her aunts, and she's like, "Why are you in Houston? <laughs> like, there's a national championship game tonight, Aunt Trish." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even know, but uh, most people know. But it, it's it's going to be a great game, guys. I think um, it's. Uh, Michigan has a great defense and a so-so offense. Washington has a great offense and a so-so defense. So I think it's going to be close, probably going to be, you know, maybe in the 30s, uh, possibly in the 20s. But uh, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a close game. I do. Do you think uh, Michigan's defensive backfield is going to be able to stop the Washington explosive uh, passing game, much like they did uh, Alabama? Well, you know, I think they'll contain Penix somewhat, but I think Washington's going to win. I mean, I I, uh, I kind of want Washington to win, but I think sometimes now in college football, you know, it it comes down to the better quarterback, and I think uh, Washington has the better quarterback. Penix is just really he's accurate. He, he throws lasers. I like his little sidearm whip he does, lefty. Um, and they're a lot more explosive, and, and their defense is not bad. They they can make big plays, and but uh, you know Michigan seems a little old school, uh, and but their secondary is good, you know. So, and Harbaugh is, I mean, he is an excellent coach, as is De- DeBoer and uh, Washington's coach. But um, I think Harbaugh is you know, a little more experienced, a little craftier. But uh, it should it should really be close. Have you had a chance to sit in any press conferences with Harbaugh or DeBoer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, media day Saturday, both of them, and then yesterday morning, uh, you know, they had another little press uh, conference. But uh, yeah, Harbaugh is uh, <laughs> he, he does he doesn't like try to really avoid a question. He just he almost pretends like he didn't hear it. Yeah. You know, when they ask him about the NFL, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, it's like, like where Nick would get mad, and which got him in trouble when he was with the Dolphins. But, you know, Harbaugh just doesn't even listen to it. So it's yeah. really a better uh, strategy. Is there, is, has there been a, a – you've, you've covered sports for a long time, Glenn. Is there a, 
Is there a coach that that's tougher to get anything meaningful out of than Harbaugh right now? Like, there's just he just doesn't say anything. Well, I, I would say he's tough to get something out of the uh, you know on the NFL, but that's you know most coaches in his position don't come out and say stuff like that. And but other other than that, I mean, he he can be really interesting. Uh, what he what he talks about, you know, just he's, he's talking about how he shows his, I'm writing about that he shows his players videos of animals hunting, you know, before, before games. And, um, you know, he talked about, uh, you know, how he, how he slept as a player to get ready for a game and what he tries to get his players to do. But he's, he's definitely an interesting guy. I mean, he's off the wall and sometimes he's, he's like otherworldly, you know, but uh, he's, uh, he's kind of a freak. But uh, he, he's really interesting. Can they get the pass rush on Penix that they did on Milrow? Well, uh, that you know that was really key to that game, and I, I thought Alabama messed up by not running Milrow more on on uh, set plays. Um, Penix does not run a lot, but he's a pretty good runner. He you know he can he can elude. The rush, but he gets the ball. He gets rid of the ball quicker than Milrow, and he's he's more experienced. I mean, he's he's an overall just clearly better quarterback than than Milrow. So, yeah, I don't think they'll be able to sack him as much because of his quick delivery. He's got a really quick, accurate delivery, and you know. But this will probably be the the best rush they've faced, Washington. So that that could be very key. You know, you you point out uh, some of the let's say how this championship game differs from most others. The fact that there's no sec team in it and that's rare. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, I, as, as a, the way I look at things as a sports writer, I, I like uh, variety, you know, as much as I like coach Saban and have enjoyed him winning all these titles. I mean, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with not having an sec team in the, in the playoffs. I mean, it hadn't happened in 10 years. Uh, so uh, I think it's still very interesting. I, Michigan is gets a huge amount of clicks, whatever you write about them, and and they have a huge following. So I think the viewers will be there. The, I mean, the viewers were there for Michigan Alabama like no other game. Of course, a lot of that was Alabama. But uh, yeah, I think it's kind of refreshing actually not to see another SEC team in this thing. You wrote a story about. Uh, asterisk next to Michigan if they win the title. Do you see that perhaps coming if they win and beat Washington that the NCAA could possibly void the uh, championship with an asterisk? Well, I think the Astros ought to just lend Michigan the proverbial asterisk since Michigan can win it right here in Houston where the 2017 Astros asterisk exists um, for also a sign stealing scandal uh and i'm an astro fan lee since i was a kid and i don't think they deserve that title in 17 um and i don't think um you know michigan if, if everything is true and the reason they got suspended by the the uh big 10 sure looks fishy they had some evidence yeah i, I mean i i think the ncaa may and and should eventually uh, vacate the title, take away wins. Of course, that doesn't always resonate. You know, it, it's you know, there's still some Alabama forfeits and and uh, uh, vacated wins on the on the books, but nobody really remembers those. 
So when you win it on the field, you win it on the field. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they remember or care about it, to be honest about it. Have you seen Connor Stallions at all? Has he been around? <laughs> it's still good to do it, though, just, just for the record, I believe. Because, uh, you know, you got to take a stance as an NCAA or MLB. MLB really messed that up, I thought. Uh, no, I haven't seen Connor Lee. <laughs> he was at the Rose Bowl, uh, which which didn't look good uh, for Michigan. Of course, you know, they had no control over that. But, uh, um, you know, I, I don't think Michigan has handled uh, this well throughout their administration. And, and you know, the, the first time they ever had any NCAA issue uh, significant was in 2010, and that was only Rodriguez, Rich Rodriguez, you know, practicing too much and not monitoring the program. That's real minor, but that that was their first NCA issue in like a hundred years. Uh, so they're not really used to that. But this, this one, this is a big one. I mean, there's two separate ones: the recruiting during COVID in 2020, and then the the sign stealing scandal. Hey, Glenn, enjoy the game, man. Hey, I will say this. I think we can all agree. 6.30 start. I don't know what time it actually kicks, but a 6.30 start on a Monday, we're headed in the right direction, right? It's usually one of them 7.30, 8, 8.30 deals. So kudos to the NCAA or whoever for getting that part right. Yeah, yeah, it won't It won't be a, an ungodly hour. You know, it's, it's definitely earlier than you know, a lot of the – all of the NFL games uh, during the regular season. So, yeah. I think that's really cool. It's it's going to have a lot of viewers, I would think. All right, man. Tell everybody how they can follow your coverage uh, if they're staying up late or getting up early tomorrow. Yeah, Outkick.com. It's a it's a free website under the Fox News umbrella. Trey Wallace of Mobile also up here with me. And um, yeah, we've had a lot through the weekend. I'm going to have a lot uh, today, leading into the game and tomorrow. Hey, man. Enjoy the game. We appreciate you jumping aboard. Thanks, man. See you at the Senior Bowl, man. Sounds Coming like a plan. Play. Yep, I love it. There it's Glenn Gilbo, right, ladies man. and gentlemen. All right, when we come back, uh, scoreboard traffic and weather. I, I, and dare I say, an open segment? Ooh. You guys can jump in on all the good stuff that we've been talking about today. We'll see if there have been any more firings. There was a one this morning. You knew about the one last night. Atlanta, there's another one this morning. Lee's going to tell you all about it in the scoreboard. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Sends Deontay Hardy all the way back to the five, has some space, takes off, look out, Hardy, gets a block downfield, Hardy's going to go, he's in midfield, nobody's going to catch him. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you guys can jump in. 694-1055. You want to give your take on... Are y'all watching the college football playoff tonight? I'm assuming you are, probably with not the same vested interest as if, you know, it was Alabama or even an SEC team. I'm going to disagree with Glenn respectfully because I'm an SEC guy. I'd much rather see... An, I'd, rather, I'd rather see Georgia in there than Michigan or Washington. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm I'm one of those guys, but I'm gonna watch and I'm I'm curious to see how this one plays out because I I think as we talked about Michigan's got this whole us against the world mentality yet Washington just continues to fly under the radar 
and be this team that continues to prove naysayers wrong. So I think they've got a big chip on their shoulder. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I like watching Michael Penix. I've always liked Michael Penix when he was in Indiana and leading Indiana back when, before he got hurt, to upsets, and they were the talk of the Big Ten for a while. Then the injuries occurred. Then the transfer. Give uh, their coach, tomorrow a lot of credit. He had been at Indiana as the offensive coordinator, and when he got to Washington, but first he went to Fresno as the head coach. Then he came to Washington. He made a call to Penix and got him to come out there. When you really look at that offense, three most explosive players are all transfers. Johnson's the running back from Mississippi State. I believe their leading receiver, I think, came from Texas Tech or one of the schools there. And, of course, Penix came from uh, Indiana. I'm hoping for a Washington win. I don't. I have a dog in the hunt, to be honest with you. Uh, that I think that would take away all the, about Michigan, you know, whether they put an asterisk there or not. I don't know what the NCAA is going to do. And I, I'm with Glenn a lot. I, I could care less about asterisks. I don't think that changes anything. But I'd really like to see Washington win. And keep in mind this. This basically is an all-Big Ten championship. Washington comes into the Big Ten, what, in July or something? So it's Michigan and Washington. You got one, you know, teams in different areas. I'm, I'm sure the ratings will be pretty good, although I was really surprised to see tickets prices have kind of tumbled lately. They're still expensive. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when you when you think about the, the, the some of the tickets were like $3,000 for the Alabama-Michigan game. They're down in the $2,000 range now. It's still expensive. What do you think there? Uh, you got a rooting interest over there, Bronner? Yeah, I'll be rooting for Washington. That's uh, that's not very hard to decide. I mean, they're they're one team's likable, one team's not. Uh, I mean, and that's not that's not your Alabama fan. It, it actually out. it actually isn't. I'd be rooting for like ha- like hypothetically, if they had let Florida State in over Alabama, I think I'd feel the same way. I'd be rooting for Washington over over Michigan. I don't like all right, Michigan. but okay, here we go. I don't like the Big Ten. Who would you uh, who would you root for if it were some way Michigan and Florida State, knowing that they they got Florida State in? Over like Alabama. In, like in that hypothetical semifinal that no, we played last or, week? Or if this were the championship, it were Michigan. Florida State somehow beat, uh, you know, I don't know, Washington to get in and, and face. Uh, I, I guess Florida State. Would you? Yeah, I mean. I was just wondering. It wouldn't have been Florida. If they had let Florida State in it, I and they won a game. Yeah, that's you what know, I'm saying. Good, you know, props to them at that point. Well, that's what I'm saying because I think most people around here kind of feel like they weren't deserving, or they, their schedule was, didn't warrant them to get in. So I think, and and obviously they would have gotten in over Alabama. So I'm just wondering if you guys would have gone with the hated Michigan Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh, or a team you felt like you were better than. Someone I, asked me who I would, who would I root for, Michigan or Auburn? Ooh. Michigan, not even a question there. Hmm. I'm not like one of those. Guys who just gonna root for the SEC team just because it. I mean, I'm not gonna I, root for a rival because they're an SEC team. That's me. That's why you and I are different. I would certainly root for Auburn no, or no Georgia. Chance. Absolutely. I would root for Michigan over Georgia. I would root for Michigan over Auburn. I'd root for Michigan over LSU. But I will root for Washington over Michigan gladly. I'd root for any team over Michigan. I don't care who it was. <laughs> hmm. I'm not a big Jim Harbaugh fan, as you know. We do. So I would root for Florida State, Auburn, South Alabama, whoever. Whoever. All right. Would you? Uh, what about the Falcons? Would you vote in uh, Falcons in Michigan? Yes. Who would you? Who would you? Falcons. Wow. 
over Michigan. I'd root for the Falcons. What if well. the Falcons ran a trick play at the end to beat Michigan? That would be your Even that would better. make your day. You'd be okay with that trick oh, play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Pile it on, old Jim Harbaugh. I wonder if Michigan wins tonight. How much of the uh, narrative will be with questions about him leaving? Oh, I think it is regardless. Regardless of the outcome. I think he's gone either way, frankly. And good luck in getting an answer. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to get an answer tonight. Tonight's about us. Tonight's about this win. I don't. Hey, as soon as they ask him, hey, here's my quarterback. Talk to him. Or here's my center. Talk to him. I honestly, to Harbaugh's credit, and I'm not one to lend an olive branch to Harbaugh, but... I don't think it's appropriate to ask him right after the game, win or lose, like, hey, are you going to the NFL? Like, come on. That, you'll find out in the next week. What it, what answer are you expecting? Okay, so you expect him to say, yeah, I'm going to the NFL. Yeah, so let me, let, me, let me play devil's advocate with you. What's the one thing people watching on television or, or people that are reading whatever the reporters are writing in the press conference, what's the one thing they want to know after that game? Obviously, but what do you think he's going to say? you got to ask the question. It's kind of your job. Well, they've been asking questions all week, and nobody's been able to get Right, it. but now there's some finality to it. I think if they win, you know, win or lose, I kind of feel should, the same way. All right, should that question be asked? Was this your last game at Michigan? It's going to be asked. Like, we know what? that. Right. But he's not going to answer. I, I hate he's that. He's really good at sidestepping questions. Give him credit for that. But tomorrow, if they win tonight, they have what they call a presser press conference tomorrow. That's when it really should be an issue. I agree. Tomorrow, I think you not ask, tonight. You ask the questions that want to be known. Oh, I know they're going to ask the you questions. Ask the questions, and I don't have a problem with anybody asking that question. All right, so here's a here's a question for you, Lee, in the app. What if the Saints hire Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> it's not going to happen, so I'm not worrying about it. What if you? It, what no. if they did? Would they're you, not. Would you stop rooting for the Saints? No, I'd root for the Saints. Mm. Because we carry them on the radio, you, you, you'd root for the Saints, but somehow hope that they. Well, I know they're not going to hire. I'm not going to. They're not going to hire Jim Harbaugh because right, right, Dennis Lee. Allen's not I, going anywhere. What if the Saints hired Bobby Petrino? I'm I'm going for another team. <laughs> All right, so at least we, we know, know where, where the line. We know where the line yeah. is. We know where Harbaugh stands in relation to to Petrino. Yep. Okay. Uh, hey, we're gonna switch gears. Talk a little Auburn basketball. Chad Pruitt, the assistant coach. Joins us next right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff. Stay with us. Welcome back in on a Monday. Mark Lee and Bronner all with you right here on the Sports Station WNSP. We are now pleased to be joined by Auburn assistant basketball coach Chad Pruitt. Uh, used to coach down here at Faith Academy. He's been with Bruce Pearl now for a number of years. And Chad, first of all, Happy New Year. Good morning. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm good. How about you guys? Wonderful. When I sent you a text to get you on here, and this was before the Auburn Arkansas game at Bud Walton Arena. Believe me, I had no idea 
that I thought it'd be if you came away with a win that would be great. I figured it'd be kind of close. I don't know much about Arkansas's team. I I know they have a winning record. I don't know if this is you know they're off to the start they wanted. But to go up there and do what you did, what is it, thirty-two point win or something like that? It's the the worst defeat Arkansas has ever suffered at Bal- Bud Walton Arena in thirty years. What what was the reaction in the locker room after the game? <laughs> well, uh, thanks again for you guys having me on. Excited about our team this year. Uh, you know, we went up there very confident. We played well the last thing and won six in a row, all by double digits. We go into Arkansas with some confidence. Um, they come out, they hit three threes, I think, within the first uh, two or three minutes. Uh, we, t- we take time out. And you know what? Our guys responded and uh, fought back and took the lead at halftime and then played really, really well in the second half. And, you know, we're still trying to figure our team out as well, you know, with several new pieces. Um, and, but it was really good to see those guys have some confidence in a tough environment and, uh, yeah, make history. That's what we're trying to do. And to be able to, uh, to hand them their worst loss in program history was uh, – something for us to be proud of i mean that's a tough place to win i don't care who you are where you are to go up there and win and then i started to think what just a few weeks before that you had lost to appalachian state was that kind of like a wake-up call to the auburn team yeah well uh first of all appalachian state's actually really really good um and so we knew uh think back you know you followed us over the years we went to St. Louis, we went to UAB, we went to Murray State. We survived all of those, but they were all really close. And uh, and we lost a close one at Appalachian State, kind of the same uh, mode as some of those other ones. And so, but I think it was good for us. You know, you never want to lose a game, but I think it helped us to uh, to define roles and to refocus. And uh, and again, I think you know, right they are, they were a quad one. I think when we went in there, I don't know where they are now, and, and uh, but I think they'll be good throughout the year. So it was a loss we didn't want to have, but I think it might have made us better. Bruce usually plays 10 to 11 players. They all get appreciable minutes. This is not one or two minutes. I mean, it's double-digit minutes. Have the player? Can you sense that the players have bought into this? Well, I was actually just talking to another coach about that last night, asking me how in the world we play 11 guys and, and keep everybody happy. I'm not saying they're always happy. And early in the year, um, I think it is harder for them to buy in. But as they see success of that, of that, and we've seen that over the years, we know it works, and sometimes we have to convince them that it works. Um, and I think it makes us a better team. And I think we're starting to realize that our 11 can be as good or better than the other team's 7 or 8. So when you look at the statistics, what, what do you think is the primary reason now that Auburn is where they are? Well, we've shot it a lot better, and I think you would have to say offensively we're much we're much better. Um, you know, we have we have guys that can make perimeter shots. Our our point guards have not turned the ball over, and I think if you go back and look at the last couple of years, when when we had some talent, we just turned the ball over too many times. So those are wasted possessions, and so you know, excited about our two point guards who played really really well, and then you know we've made some shots. Obviously, we're really good inside with Janai Broom and Jalen Williams being back. And so, you know, we've shored up some areas that we needed to. Chad, that's where I was going with the question, but I want to see if you'd hit it. I am really impressed by the fact that game in and game out, you rarely go double-digit in turnovers. I think you only had seven against Arkansas and racking up all those points. So I, that's where I was going, the fact that over the years, turnovers have been a problem, but so far, so good this year. 
Yeah, it's a huge uh, focus point for us, and it just gives you a chance, especially on the road. You cannot turn the ball over on the road uh, and expect to win, and that'll that'll continue to be the case as we go forward. Uh, we can't go into these you know hostile environments and turn the ball over uh, for a lot of reasons. But you take uh, Arkansas for example, you know that crowd is one of the Bud Walton's one of the hardest places to play in America. You turn the ball over and it leads to transition dunks. All of a sudden, the roof's coming off, and you got a hard time winning there. So the most publicized recruit was Aiden Holloway, who plays the point guard. How has he fit in? He's done well. You know, we play him and Trey Donaldson, really, 20 and 20. Um, sure, he'd love to be getting 30, as Trey would as well. But we found out that our two guys have been really, really good together. Um, Aiden is a very, very good shooter. Um and, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of learning the rest of the game. One thing that he can do at an elite level is shoot the basketball, and I expect him to continue to make big shots. But, I, you know, he is growing in other areas, and that's what's fun, you know, to see a freshman really start to grow this time of the year. I'm kind of curious, as using as many players as you do, is, is, is the setup that you want a player or two or three maybe to take most of the shots, or does it matter? We started, you know, we started to define roles, you know, I think in the last two or three weeks. And, and the guys know we, we basically say, hey, if you're shooting a high percentage from three, shoot shoot more. If you're shooting a, a lesser percentage from three, shoot less. Sounds simple, but we want our better players taking those shots. And then we feed the, we feed the hot hand. Uh, Chad Baker-Mazzara played really well at Arkansas, and we went to him over and over and over, especially in the first half. Um, and I think our guys recognize when somebody's playing really well that we want to run the offense through them. Okay, this is where I want to get to. And, and look, I, this is just an observation. I'm certainly not critiquing Auburn after a win like that. But in the first half against Arkansas, your big guy, Broom, came outside. I think he, he shot up maybe two or three from outside, and none of them went in. And he's kind of playing on the perimeter. And I'm saying, look, the guy's like 6'10", 6'11". Why isn't he playing more underneath? But in the second half, he was deployed, it seemed to be, more underneath the basket. He got hot, scored a lot of points inside, and did what a big guy is supposed to do. And I was just curious why he was on the outside shooting threes in the early going. Well, a lot of that has to do with the way Arkansas guards you. They really protect the rim with their size. And so we knew we would get a couple of wide open ones, and we thought we'd take a shot at it. Janai's been shooting the ball really, really well in practice. Um, but at the end of the day, we feel like he's better down in the post. Uh, we did go to him inside a couple of times in the first half. He did not execute that and score. Um, where it, you know, in the second half, he really did. So you know, part of that's a game plan type deal, and and, and then secondly, got to finish when you get the opportunities in there. Chad Pruitt's our guest here on WNSP. I'm curious, as a general philosophy coach, as a as a staff, as a program. Is there a spe- other than turnovers, of course? Is there a stat that you look you look at when maybe you're getting ready for a team? You, do you look at some, one particular stat, or is there a stat that you guys may keep during the course of a game that maybe doesn't show up on a box score that's more telling to you than than any than any other? Yeah, well, a couple of things that kind of stick out to me. First of all, uh, offensive rebound percentage. I think um, for us as well as for the other team. You take a, you take a team like Texas A&M that we play on Tuesday night. Um, you know they they get back basically 49 percent of the shots they take. Well, that's unheard of. One of the best stats in, in the last 20 years um, on the glass. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do at Arkansas was to 
to hurt them on the offensive glass. And so our goal was, and I don't know how many we ended up with, but our goal was to try to get 13, 14 offensive rebounds. Um, so it's kind of a stat that, that a lot of people kind of overlook, but a huge stat. So basically Texas A&M is shooting and they get half of them back, which gives them another possession, which right. is a huge, huge thing for you. So so when you say the goal was to get 13 or 14, do you let the players know, like, man, this is our goal for the game, or is that just something that you guys are hoping for as a coaching staff? No, we, we challenged them. In fact, we challenged them for 15. Uh, I, think we, I think we had eight at the half. I don't know what we ended up with. Um, but that was a, a point of focus. We knew they were long and athletic. We felt like we could be more physical and, and, and put bodies on them and hurt them on the glass. They tried to block shots. And when you, anytime you got people trying to block shots, it, it actually leaves the backside of the rim pretty available. Yeah. Hey, great stuff. Th- hey, I mean, I, Lee put it mildly. I'll put it bluntly. That was an ass kicking up there over the weekend, man. So congratulations. <laughs> uh, you guys got after it, and uh, we look forward to doing it again real soon. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate you guys. Y'all take care. War Eagle. That's Auburn uh, assistant coach Chad Pruitt. I still say he gets more more TV time than any other person whose name isn't Bruce Pearl. He sits like right behind, right in that area, right next to him. I'm glad they promoted him to assistant coach. He had been like director of operations, so he's out there recruiting, and you know it's kind of a a promotion. But you're right; he does know where to sit. He knows where he knows where the cameras. He knows where the cameras are. That's right. That's right. All right. uh, One final segment. Uh, you guys can jump in at 694-1055 and uh, give us your take. You want to give us your college football playoff take? You want to give us your uh, take on Saints and Arthur Smith and Dennis Allen? Whatever. Maybe maybe Bass Pro Shops Aquarium guy? We're here for all of it today. It's the opening kickoff. One final segment. Closing ceremonies are next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. One final segment of the day here on WNSP. We know we haven't really talked about this. Lee and I were just chatting at the break. This whole Pat McAfee thing has been fascinating to me. So he 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 went after an ESPN exec on air, called him a rat. Years ago, I'm not going to name names, but uh, when I was doing South Alabama baseball and I was doing a pregame show, and the person I had on the show basically criticized management where I was. Yeah. Uh, really went after management. And uh, this was on a tape, so obviously I cut it before we got to that. I didn't think that if I'm broadcasting for a particular station, it would go over well with management if I allowed something like that to go over the air. I certainly wouldn't do it. And if I ever had a gripe, which I haven't had many really in, in my long career, fi- over 50 years, I, I've had very, very few problems or gripes or, let's say, confrontations with management. I can't even think maybe more than one or two, if even that. And I certainly, you know, you don't want – it's not a good idea to, to rail against people who are paying your paycheck if you want to stay. Now, if you don't want to stay or you want to leave, that's fine. What McAfee did was really surprising, and I'm not criticizing him because I know there's been a lot of ink about his show, good or bad. And I, th- I think the Rogers statement about Kimmel really ignited all this. 
But Norby Williamson, who's an exec with ESPN, and McAfee just railed after him. I don't know what's going to happen. I know McAfee, when he was brought in, getting a nice paycheck. Uh, his show, Mark, is all over the place. It's It goes live, I think, right from, what, 11 to 1 or 2, and then they replay it on ESPN2. Yeah. Getting a lot of air time. He's on game day. Uh, I don't know where this is going to go, and I will say I've never seen anything like this before where, let's say, a media personality has attacked the uh, – and basically I think it has to also do with stuff he felt – that it's coming out of Williamson's office about the show and the right. ratings and things like that. How did you see it? I well, here I don't. I I might be in the minority here. I don't have a problem with Pat McAfee. I I kind of I enjoy it. I think I like the casual kind of laid back feel of what he does. Yeah, sometimes he can go over the top, but you know whatever. I think for the most part, uh, I think he does a pretty good job. With that said, regardless of whether he's right or wrong on this. As a company, whether it's ESPN or WNSP or whatever, you can't have guys coming on the air and blasting management without some sort of repercussion for it. It just you just can't. You know, there's a reason why on-air personalities don't have a farewell tour, whether it's in TV or radio, because you never know when someone's going to make some sort of comment uh, about you know badmouth an employer. So I do believe. There needs to be some sort of come to Jesus meeting with Pat McAfee about what he says or doesn't say. On I could the be air. wrong on this, but I think the only one that I think could even possibly get away with that is Charles Barkley. <laughs> Probably. McAfee's won me over a little bit. I wasn't a big fan of his before he went to ESPN. Then they put him on Game Day, and I was like, yeah, like well, who, who needs? He's he's won me over. I I, I kind of enjoy him. As for the the comments to ESPN man, like wh- wh- I kind of saw it as uh, he's he's got nothing to lose there. He has his show with or without ESPN, yeah. and I understand ESPN's paying him a lot of money, but he was making a lot of money before that. And yes, he kind of sold out, wh- whatever term you want to put on it, to ESPN. But ESPN has, to their credit, kind of done a pretty good job of letting him do his thing, and. I guess there's been some internal strife, and you know, like he said, we're trying to sabotage us from the inside. When as far as to name the specific person, yeah. Uh, so it's just to me, it says like, you know what, man, I I can do this with or without ESPN. I've made a lot of money, way more money than I ever thought I would make doing this. I don't care if ESPN wants to get rid of me. I think ESPN needs Pat McAfee a whole lot more than Pat McAfee needs ESPN. They're not going to do anything. What, are they going to get rid of him? And that was the point I made to Lee at the break, especially with the kind of the political climate of ESPN right now. Yeah. I I do believe he's a big part of balancing some of that. I wish all of that would go away, by the way, and I think that's going to be ESPN's biggest downfall. But – I think we kind of agree that he certainly they need him a lot more than so. He like, what does what does he care? Uh, well, not I think I think he does care, and I think he cares about the show, and I and I think he was just standing up for what he felt there was some false information yeah. coming out from let's say the exec's office. But I still, with the egos that are in that, from everything I've read, the egos there, I can't imagine Williamson not doing anything. You know, I. My point wasn't that he doesn't care about the show. I think he cares about the show a great deal. I, I just think that he knows he has a, such a loyal following to his own show that 
it'll be fine. Let's go with back or without a little, ESPN. Let's go back a little bit. He's on game day. Yeah. And I guess it was a couple of months ago where supposedly uh, fan interest was 50-50 about him, whether they would, uh, whether ESPN would keep him on game day or not. And he had some comments to make like, well, if they don't, you know, I basically read into this. If they don't want me, fine. I'll, I'm okay. I'll just do my show. If they don't want me on game day because of, again, fan criticism was going basically 50-50. I think my own personal feeling is in, in many cases, execs like that, that, you know, they know they're not going to, they want somebody who's going to get people interested enough, stir them up a little bit that they're not all going to love them. There are obviously some people are out there, like even with us, I'm sure, you know, have differences uh, and, and would prefer, you know, not, not, not him being on the show, but I think that just adds to his intrigue. I yeah. really do. And and so far, nothing I've heard since then about him in game day, and I don't know if he's going to be on next year or not, but this other thing is a lot bigger than that. This is his show now. This is, a, and it's shown at least twice a day, maybe more. So I'm kind of curious to, to attack, let's say, a high exec at ESPN and get away with it really would be something. Well, we will see. I, again, I, I mean, I just don't think they're in any position to do anything major there and you know to your point lee i think that's just media in of, general not yeah. not everyone's gonna like you not exactly hopefully not everyone's gonna hate you and uh, i don't know so. if if norby's the one who actually hired him that I, I don't remember if he's the one who actually hired him and put him in that position and gave him a huge salary but again they can all the execs fall back on ratings and that's i think where some of this was coming from that sure rate that that some of the information out there Pat McAfee felt was unclear. And then, of course, you have the the Rogers comments about Kimmel and, and the apology after that and so forth. So it's been a, a busy week for uh, McAfee. I hope we see him in Mobile, Michael. I hope we do. You know, he was a member of that 75th anniversary team. Hope he comes. Mm. That would be cool. A uh, couple guys, a lot of folks, uh, I say a lot, a couple guys in the app, Saying they didn't like McAfee at first, but now they do. That's so. about what I what I was at. Yeah, they were agreeing with you. So, uh, all right, what do you got uh, cooking for tomorrow, sir? Travis Ryer is going to be along. He's going to talk some Alabama football. But let's face it, we're going to be spending time on the championship game, Michigan and Washington. We'll be talking about that. We'll also talk to Matt Cohen, AL.com, see what he knows about a new offensive coordinator at Auburn. So some of the things we're working on. We know our uh, rooting interests here. We got any predictions? We haven't done those. Lee? I'm going Washington. Mark? I'll give him, let's say, it's going to be it's, – it's not going to be a runaway by any means. Michigan's defense is too good. I think Michigan right now on paper – and from what I've seen, is the better team. But I'm going to go with Washington. I'm going to pick them by maybe three to four yeah, what's points. The, I don't even know what the spread like is. like four and a half. At least that's what it opened at. I haven't monitored it too closely. Hmm. Anybody like Michigan? I think – I don't know. I'm 0 for 2 in the college football playoff. Let's see <laughs> if I can make it a perfect I did pick Washington I'm going over uh, Texas. I thought what Michigan did on both sides of the ball – um, confused Alabama. I I don't know if there's enough turnaround for Washington to get a hold of what they were doing. They they do so much motioning and confusing, and I think they did such a nice job of containing Milrow. If they clean up their special team, I'm going to go Michigan. Yeah, you know I'm rooting for Washington. I just 
And, you know, I've given the stat. Kalen DeBoer's lost 11 total games as a college football head coach. 11 in, like, many years as a college football head coach. So, that all being said, unfortunately, I, I think Michigan is just the better football team. A little bit. Not by much. It's it's two so different styles of how they want to go and win this game. I mean, Washington is not a very good running team. Like, really, it might be in triple digits. Uh, in rushing statistics, outside of the top 100, Michigan's eh, throwing the ball. McCarthy has a big arm, but doesn't really know how to use it. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm going with Michigan. I could see this being a blowout in either direction, or maybe it's close. I don't know. I guess I'm going with Michigan because I think they're a little bit better. All right. Uh, we have uh, two folks that chimed in. One's got Michigan, one's got Washington. Um, and so we are two Michigans and one Washington in here. I'm taking the under. How about that? Okay. Whatever it is, I don't know what the <laughs> I don't know what the total is. Uh, looks like the last I saw was 56 and a half. Yeah, that sounds. In Michigan right. by four and a half. So uh, I like the under. You like the under? Yeah. My thing is, can Washington do what Alabama could and gets that you know the explosive, the long distance touchdown? And can Penix avoid the Michigan rush? If they do, I like Washington. But I, I, I agree. I think Michigan's the better team on paper. I really do. Defensively, they're a better team than Washington. Uh, the question is, can Penix get it done against the Michigan defense, whereas maybe Jalen Milrow did not have as much success as we were hoping for? Penix is uh, a whole lot better than Jalen Milrow. And so he's got better. And he's got better receivers. So the Saints are going to trade Michael Thomas for draft picks and draft up and get Penix. Hold on, I'm not saying Penix. I don't think Penix is a first round pick, but it doesn't uh, matter. But I do. When, think. when have you ever known the Saints to do well early in the draft? Yeah, well, I don't know. We're Penix. noting for those needle in a haystacks late, late, late in the sixth and seventh rounds. I like Penix as a college football player. I mean, he's got two torn ACLs in the same knee. Best receiver, best receiving core in the country, and he's almost 24. I should hope he's good at college football by this point. But it might win him the national championship tonight. All right. Well, we're just mere hours away from the college football season coming to an end. It's unfortunate. All right. Fear not, though. We're back tomorrow to recap it all right here on a Tuesday edition of the opening kickoff. Until then, see ya. <laughs>